Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. All right, Payne and Pendergast, into the 7 o'clock hour we go. Uh, 713-572-4610. What'd you say? Did you say Pendergast? No, no. I may have. I don't know. But it's a I, good name for the show. It is, actually. We can combine, like, Benefer. You know, we're like a superpower couple. Ooh, that didn't work out that hot. Pendergast. Uh, didn't yet, work dude. out that well for Ben. They got back to well for Garner, but it, the, the second he's back with the other Benefer. Are they now. back together? Yeah, they're married. They got married. Ben Affleck Still? and Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, wasn't that like nine months ago? <laughs> that was less than that. It was like a few months ago. wasn't that long ago? It's <laughs> a fair question, though. <laughs> Which <laughs> so he is like the future to Russell Wilson. His <laughs> Ben Affleck is to uh, A Rod and Diddy. Like Russell Wilson is to future? No. I don't know. Well, Dude. no, yeah, no, it's, it's not like anything. Yeah, because he's gone back for seconds. No idea. So I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, I don't either. I got super confused. <laughs> Which guy does future least want to be? Would future rather be compared to A-Rod or Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck, for sure. I, th- I don't know. You I think, think he'd rather be compared to Ben Affleck? I don't know. Neither are great, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got more money? Uh, that Ben Affleck, right? Do you think? I don't know. And everything? No, A-Rod, yeah. I feel like Ben Affleck's probably like withered away half his money at the blackjack table. Wasn't Affleck like a $20 million a film guy yes. for a while? Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was. And it feels like he had like writing and producing credit, too, and, yeah. or had some of those royalty deals. I don't know. Yeah, I bet, I bet A-Rod's got more money. A-Rod though. is a part owner of an NBA team. I feel like that's a pretty good indicator as to where he is. Yes, yeah, still. Part owner. Still. So um, they hand those out like candy yeah, sometimes but, to just for somebody with a name that'll be to show up course. I get it, but it totally snows over somebody like me. So I think he's, <laughs> I, I think he's he, a Rod wins. All right, so um, D'Amico Ryan's. This is what Texan fans need to know. We uh, we talked about Sean Payton in the previous segment. If you're just getting in your car, Sean Payton interested in the Texans. Did a Zoom interview with the Texans. Starts doing in person interviews with teams today. Is his first day. He can he can do. Peyton can do in-person interviews. D'Amico Ryans, we had not heard anything until yesterday about what his schedule was. We just knew that the Texans had requested permission to interview D'Amico Ryans. They've been joined by the Indianapolis Colts, by the way, uh, who have requested interview uh, requested permission to interview D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico will be interviewing with the Texans on Friday, according to Kyle Shanahan. So that is when the D'Amico interview is is taking yeah. place. So it's going to yeah. happen. Shanahan, uh, it was cool. He kind of uh, shed a little light on how the process works. D'Amico's going to have two interviews on Thursday and Friday. And, you know, Kyle talked about how, yeah, you, you kind of – you got a little chunk of time there. You focus. You, pre- you prepare for that interview. You do it. And then you're back to preparing for the other really, really important thing going on in your life, which is the, the playoff run. Yes, yes. I know people always get – it's not going to affect the Texans right now obviously. Uh, but I know some people always have an understandable knee-jerk reaction. That, like, wait a second. This guy's out looking for himself while he should be focused on the playoffs. Uh, it's just playoffs. one of the, it's part of the business where you gotta, if you want to attract good coaches, you got to give them the ability to, to move on to higher things at no some doubt. point. So uh, a, if any coach or team were ever to say, like, no, there will be no Zoom calls for uh, potential head coaching jobs during the season, then if they get a reputation for that, they're not going to attract very many talents. That's that's coaches. a great point. Yeah, no, yeah. people people want upward mobility. Um, look, we know D'Amico Ryan's here from his time as a player. Seth, you were a teammate of his for his rookie year back in 2006. Um, I don't think it ever gets old, especially if the Texans are looking to bring him in as a head coach, to hear players and people around the league say great things about D'Amico Ryan's, his defense. Well, well and, I think, and I think also, especially because it's now they're talking about him as a coach, where people yeah. here don't necessarily... People here don't know him as a coach. They know him as a player, which is a whole different dynamic. Yep. We know his defense is statistically good, but how is he with his players? Well, here's his best player, Nick Bosa, talking about D'Amico Ryans. Just the way he is as a coach and a leader is, is uh, the, he's the best coach I've been around. Um, I could say that, yeah. Pretty, uh, defensive coordinator for sure. Um, I mean, I've had D-line coaches, but... As a defensive coordinator, easily the best one I've ever had. What, what makes him so? Just knowing the guys, knowing the team, um, obviously the scheme stuff, which I don't even deal with, but I just see I just see what he does every week in meetings and how he addresses the young guys and us as a defense and um, how hard he is on us, but how much he congratulates us and is, is uh, positive. 
at the same time. I think he just has really figured out how to how to perfectly um, push push us, but not uh, not push us too hard and not give us too much credit. Just really good. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it's it seems simple, but uh, it's really not. And he's. He's gotten better at it. Yeah, I was going to say, has it always been like that? No, he's, I think he's getting better just like us as a defense. That was a really interesting thing, that last part, which that's yeah. where you know it's not just platitudes that he's putting out there. Is like he, yeah. It was a thoughtful answer because he was asked a question. You know, he got asked the question, has it always been like that? And he's even going to say, yeah, he's been great since day one. But but Nick Bosa, that was a thoughtful answer, I thought, by him. That's uh, Yeah, and I think the, yeah, the fact that he's actually getting better at it as the season's gone along. Uh, and uh, look, it, it kind of like quarterbacks at Ohio State. It's easy to say that, oh, the defensive coordinator with the 49ers just has an easy job. What's he have to do anyway? Um, I think that when uh, – I feel that way myself when I'm looking at guys. Um, and I think if you watch the way his defense operates, you can tell there's a discipline there. Um, you can tell there is a higher level understanding by some of the key players on the defense of what the offense is trying to do that, that isn't so easy to put into action. It's a, like the transferring from the whiteboard to on the field is, is not so simple. And I think D'Amico has a very unique sense of the player psychology, the challenges facing the players, and then how to communicate it, as well as being a good football mind. So, um, And that's the stuff you absolutely 100% have to have if you're going to be a defensive-minded coach coaching in the modern NFL because you gotta you got to find some edge over the, the offensive gurus, obviously. Yep. Um, is he still your number one right now? He I mean, still is, yeah. And I think the, the big – if in question there, and I think this is what the McNairs will be asking D'Amico, is just what what is your plan for your staff? You know, who is your offensive coordinator? And then if your offensive coordinator gets hired away from you, what is your plan after that? You know, that's the, I mean, when it comes to hiring a defensive-minded coach, and, and if you're drafting a quarterback, you got to have a really good plan for exactly what we're going to do to develop young quarterbacks and how am I going to be a part of that. Using as a model Mike Tomlin, Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, um, all these guys that have managed to develop young quarterbacks while, while being defensive-minded head coaches. And I think, I think D'Amico, I think there's probably part of one of the reasons he stopped doing interviews last year, I'm guessing, was because maybe he didn't feel – like he was absolutely 100% ready with his plan for that. Yep. And he also just, you know, wanted to have this taste of experience as a as a defensive coordinator. So I expect him to be pretty buttoned down with that. Yep. So he's interviewing with the Texans on Friday this week. So that'll be uh be interesting to see what comes out yeah. of that. So the Sean Payton for anybody that uh is just joining us in the last little bit. Sean Payton did interview via Zoom with the Texans last night or yesterday afternoon and uh I think the who was the first? Was the Chronicle the first one to report that? I saw it from Adam Schefter on Twitter, so I oh, don't okay. know. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, that, I, I, I got that barrage of push notifications from all the, nas- the national NFL insiders that yeah. all tweet within three seconds of each other when something like that happens. So that's what I saw. That's where I saw you it. Know, the, only, the only thing that I hesitated with Nick Bosa on with his endorsement of D'Amico Ryans is that he has a, uh, a rather famous – uh, a political endorsement that would be quite divisive. So I didn't want to. I don't. I, I don't want. I don't want like fifty percent of people. Not D'Amico, right? <laughs> what's that? Yeah, no, Nick Bosa. Yeah, yeah. Bosa. <laughs> because people love to. Uh, people love to need to know which uh, which uh, political candidates the players love, and then either act like players should stay out of everything except sports, or uh, be fully throated in support of players being uh, involved in politics. Did you see? His brother Joey Bosa going off on the referees again yesterday, yeah. <laughs> like cursing, sound, looking more and more like a young Sean Penn all the time. Yes, uh, he's just—he looks rough, man. He looks like a meathead. He, he just looks like a meathead. He doesn't me. look like a meathead. He looks like a roided-up surfer. And I'm not saying he's on steroids, but if a surfer were to do steroids, he'd end up looking like Bosa. Right, right, you gotta, right. You don't, you don't want to be too muscular. I thought, it was, I thought it was yeah. funny how, like, you know, because Joey Bosa messing up in that Jags game with those penalties was a huge reason that the Chargers lost that game. He lines up in the neutral zone on that third down. Would have been a sack. They would have gotten yeah. off the field. And he lines up in the neutral zone. The sack gets nullified, and they end up scoring a touchdown to make it 27-14, the Jags do. 
And then, of course, he had two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. And, dude, he had the one where it put them in position to go for two. Like, he yeah. he gets – he's arguing – he had a valid argument. Like, yeah, it should have been the a false start. The offensive tackle on the yeah. play, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it should have been a false start, and it probably should have been a hold, too, on him. But you can't throw your helmet like some – like, you know, like like a five-year-old. Like, he and was it, out of control, he yeah. Was, he was out of control. He throws his helmet down, gets called for unsportsmanlike conduct. Brandon Staley, his coach, comes out to try to calm him down, tells him to pick up his helmet. He picks it up and then throws it down again. <laughs> yeah. um, so, and, but, and Staley it, – it, Staley was almost like just trying to like, – because it's a – you can't take your helmet off uh, voluntarily on the right, field. That's right. the rule. And the only time you don't get in trouble for it is at the very end of a game. You score a touchdown with zero seconds remaining because then the game's over. Yeah. So um, taking your helmet off alone, much less throwing it on the ground, is going to get you in on sports. Like, so Staley was like – trying to cover up the evidence as fast as possible, <laughs> grab this thing, put it back to him, and he throws it down again. Yeah. Well, I think they were worried, too, because he had already had an unsportsmanlike conduct earlier in the game that that would get him kicked out. But I guess the way the no, announcers explained it is Yeah, that, it's different for just uh, – if it's taunting or something like right. that, it's different than just uh, your run-of-the-mill unsportsmanlike. Right, right. Like I, or if, I, it's, uh, if it's hitting, if it's targeting or, or something like that. Yeah, there's it's different the, categories. The truly dangerous stuff. Yeah. Right, there's different categories of unsportsmanlike, and apparently throwing your helmet down on the ground doesn't fit the category of one that gets you ejected the, from the game. The thing where Bosa has a valid complaint – and and by the way, I also saw people complaining about Bosa not getting fined like immediately after the game for that. <laughs> How long have like you been following into the, the NFL? Walking you know, into the locker room and shaking him down. <laughs> is, is Goodell supposed to come on and give deliver the fine immediately after the comments are aired? Uh, you'll, the the fines will be announced next Saturday. That's the way it works. Um, He'll get fined for criticizing the officials, but. It's gotten bad. The NFL officiating has gotten really sloppy and weird. And I think maybe it's an offshoot of having more and more things to have to officiate. But offensive tackles are getting away with false starts like the, like he did on that play. But also, they're lining up a half yard deeper than they're actually allowed to. Yep. So they're actually lining up in false start territory. Yeah. You're, their, their heads are supposed to be at the belt buckle of the center yep. um, or, or further forward than that. And they're just like they're a, way deep now. Like so a 45-degree angle somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So that's where the frustration comes from. But obviously you don't take it out like that. Um, speaking of that game between the Jags and the Chargers, um, let's relive the magic of Al Michaels, who caught all kinds of heat for his lack of energy throughout the game, but particularly on this, the game-winning field goal – in one of the biggest comebacks in postseason history. Here we go for the win. Got it, but there's a flag down. There's a flag down as everybody's running out onto the field, but there's a penalty marker. Offside. Defense number 26. And they call it on the defense. Unbelievable. Uh, that, that is unbelievable. Right. I mean, Dungy and, and Al Michaels are calling this game like they're sitting at a Buffalo Wild Wings, like closing out their tab and like glancing up. at Like they were watching three other games and they're just looking at that one like, wow, did you see what happened over? No, I'm watching the yeah. Rockets over. Oh, man, that's unbelievable over there. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, Al Michaels is 78 years old and Tony Dungy has the energy level of a 107-year-old. Uh, except that most 107-year-olds are actually pretty impressively sprightly. Yeah. Like they're, uh, like you made it that far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like You're almost like, oh, my gosh, this 100-year-old like, feels better than I do. Yes. So I think that um, – so let's say – let's call him a uh, 79-year-old. Yeah. But, but I think that – so Al Michaels has this text exchange with Andrew Marchand of the New York Post. Yeah. And he he's, the, he's their media himself. writer, yeah. Yeah, he defends himself. Uh, says he's very happy, and he's not going to do a game, uh, quote, for over-the-top YouTube hits. So he, uh, he says he labeled criticism of the broadcast as internet compost. Ah. He says a lot of folks who understand this industry are annoyed with the over-the-top yelling that makes a game sound like an offshoot of talk radio. Hey, I'm what did we do? Corner. But there are others who obviously think otherwise. Okay. Um, I think this is where – this is Al Michaels doing something that I, – I was reading something about narcissism yesterday, Sean. Yeah. And I'm not, calling, I'm not calling Al Michaels a narcissist, but a tactic that narcissists often use is this. Um, and it's actually a good – it's a good tactic, by the way, everybody, for those taking notes. Um, whenever you're being criticized for something – 
address the most extreme criticism because that's the easiest to defend. So what he's saying is he's, he's creating this mythical world where what people want is for Al Michaels to be yelling like, Field goal! Yeah. And all this extreme over-the-top stuff and acting like he's, done, like, he's, um, like he's Pat McAfee or something. And when in fact... What they want is just some level of excitement. Some indication that your heart rate has risen above 42 or whatever ridiculously low rate your, your blood pressure medicine has it at these I f- days. I feel like the announcer who gets labeled, and I'm not going to say who gets yeah. hate or love for it because people have their own preferences, the one who gets labeled the most over-the-top energetic is Gus Johnson. Gus yeah. Johnson, you know, the Gus-gasm, you know, right? Like Gus Johnson is the guy who gets labeled that. And I will say this. Um, and I'm not defending Al Michaels. I think Gus Johnson yells way too much. I think Gus Johnson treating a third and six in the second quarter like it was the game-winning field goal of the Jags game is annoying to me that he's yelling yeah. all the time. So I, I, there needs to be something in between, though. Like I, I mean, I, maybe I'm sounding too picky. Like, okay, well, you, you hate Gus Johnson, but you also hate Al Michaels. I don't hate either of them. I'm just not wild about Michael's call on Saturday, and I'm not yeah. a huge – I'm not this Gus, Jan- Just, Gus Johnson sycophant like – like everybody else seems to be, I think Tariko is the gold standard. I think he is pristine and perfect as an announcer. Tariko is just nails, and I don't. How old's Tariko? He's got to be about fifty or early fifties. He was a little bit of a prodigy, so like he sprung onto the scene relatively early. Yeah, I'm looking it up. I think he's. I would maybe older than you think. Um, when we, um, yeah. So he. Uh, this is the other Al Michaels. He's fifty six. 56, yeah. okay. So he's got at least another decade before he starts to slip mentally out. Yes. yes. So um, read some comments that we didn't sound excited enough. Internet compost. You know me as well as anyone. I, I'm, I'm acting like he's screaming. No streaming, no yelling, no hollering. It's television. Ellipses and captions are sufficient when pictures tell the story. Mm. That's how he should have texted that okay. and said he did in the comp call. He was like not doing that thing where, like, you know what? I'm just going to sit back and let the moment speak for itself. Like, no, you've been bored they, the entire second half of this football they, game. They never addressed the gravity of the situation. And it <laughs> looked like they'd been ambushed. They looked like the soldiers at San Jacinto who were having their nap. You yes. know, it went all of a sudden like, whoa, what's this now? Yes. <laughs> all right, Ross Tucker... <laughs> Ross Tucker, Ross Tucker seems to be a, a kerfuffle down below. A kerfuffle, ah, it'll work out. Yep, yeah. it'll all be good. Uh, Ross Tucker is going to join us in the next segment. Is Tom Brady done? And also, uh, Ross knows a couple of the candidates for the Texans job better than than most national uh, personalities do because he covers the Eagles. We'll get his thoughts on Jonathan Gannon and Shane Steichen, two of the prime candidates for the Texans head coaching position. And is Sean Payton a real candidate for the Texans as well? Ross Tucker joins us next. Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. All right, the uh, Cowboys beat the Buccaneers last night 31-14, to so the divisional round is set for Saturday and Sunday. Joining us right now to talk about that and a whole lot more, he's the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. You can get him on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL, and he is—he's uh, a close personal friend of the show. And he, uh, as of Saturday, a uh, fellow beer drinker with Seth Payne, Ross Tucker. That's right. Us. Yeah, yeah. What's going on, Ross? What's up, fellas? Yeah, it was amazing to uh, have a, a meal with Seth, have a lunch and a, a couple beers, and his wife is incredible. I'm so glad she came, and yeah, it was awesome. Absolutely awesome. We had um, we we were up like forty minutes. Ross was skiing at a town like forty minutes from my wife's hometown. So uh, as, as Ross was on his way up to the Buffalo game, um, a game with far too many possessions for my taste. By the way, we'll get to that later. But I, I got to tell everybody this: that uh, I Ross. Unlike many people in the media, when you uh, see Ross in person or if you ever go to like a meet and greet with Ross, he's the exact same person. So like he he walked into a restaurant that was frankly kind of dead and boring and immediately it became a raucous and joyous place like at a ski resort where all of a sudden it felt like I felt like I was um, Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber just having the time of my life like next to a fireplace at a ski lodge. It was awesome. So, so two things, Sean, that you need to know. First of all, that's what people always say. Like, that's that's exactly who Ross is, like, on the radio. That's who he is in person. 
I feel like it'd be so weird to be the opposite. I feel like, and, and there are people that are that way. They're like, they're, they're not like they are on the air at all. I just don't, I don't know how to do that. Secondly, one of my favorite things from the weekend, okay? Seth is like in his late 40s now or whatever. I posted a picture on social media, at Ross Tucker NFL. It's not just Twitter, by the way, Sean. It's Facebook. It's oh, okay. Instagram. It's TikTok. <laughs> it's everywhere. Whatever platform you're you're on, I'm on. Ross Tucker NFL. So I posted a picture of me and Seth. And somebody replies, Wow, look at Ross towering over Seth. That's impressive. <laughs> and my favorite part of the weekend is that he's late 40s, he's a father, he's married. Seth still has enough meathead in him, Sean, that he had to reply to the guy and say, he was wearing ski boots, dude. That adds like three inches. I mean, no, like we're fi- like we're fifteen years old again. No, and no, we that care who's taller, <laughs> like or who can like 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 the next thing Seth should have replied to the guy is how much do you bench? How much? No, do you bench? no, no, no. Like, you gotta understand that's Tom Middlescreen. Like he's a he's a world class troll. So I was having fun with him. He was a he was a discus thrower at UCLA. Uh, UCLA. Yeah. yeah. So he, he was oh, he was playing okay. the meathead part I, too. I, I I just I was like man. That is like he's still like no, he's not really that much taller than me. He's wearing ski boots. <laughs> now Seth, boot. Seth's not afraid to mix it up now, just to be clear. Yeah, no, but but that was I was having fun with middle screen. Ski boots don't add three inches. Plus, I was wearing sneakers. If anything, I had the shoe wear advantage. <laughs> so okay, but so listen, funny. Ross, I promised everybody. Um, that we would have you on because you are there outside of Philly. You're not from Philly, but you live close to Philly, kind of like Chaz McCormick. There are two candidates right now, Jonathan Gannon and Shane Steichen, both the respective defensive and offensive coordinators for the Eagles. And I've been telling our listeners that you are gushing over these guys, particularly Jonathan Gannon. Well, so first of all – I'm glad you guys brought me on. I thought I was coming on to get a victory lap for being the first person to tell everybody that Lovey Smith was going to get fired. <laughs> yeah, but you you yeah. should take one for that, by the way. Yeah. I, I still can't believe you guys were like so surprised. I, I just, the way they hired him like so late after they clearly wanted somebody else, I just thought, oh, yeah, yeah, they don't really want him. They just feel like they have to do this for whatever reason. But anyway, um, so. I get a chance to, to be around these coordinators for the Eagles a decent amount. They're both really, really impressive. I would say I'm probably more impressed tactically this year with some of the things Steichen has done offensively and to get Jalen Hurts from being not a top 20 quarterback to maybe second in the MVP voting. It should be noted that the Eagles roster is totally loaded. And they just have, I mean, they have eight pro bowlers and nine alternates. 17 of their 22 starters are are pro bowl guys. So so that that needs to be put out there. But there's also a reason why both those guys have had three or four interviews. Um, Gannon, they're both impressive in a meeting. But Gannon, like, if you guys had him on, if you, ha- if you like, made a request and you were able to get him on the show, by the end of the interview, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, we got to hire him. Oh, my- he's- that's the guy. Like, he's just, he's just very polished, very impressive. He actually, like, explains things in a way that makes sense, but he's also telling you real information about why they do what they do like it drives people in philly nuts because they're used to like buddy ryan and jim johnson it drives them nuts that john again doesn't blitz more but all of the research indicates that the two biggest determining factors for winning games are turnovers and explosive plays so the defense is really designed to not give up the explosive plays. meanwhile People complain about how passive he is. The Eagles had a franchise record with 70 sacks. They almost broke the NFL record for sacks in a year. They have four guys, four guys with double-digit sacks. It's never been done before. And there are still Eagles fans that are like, he doesn't blitz enough, dude. He needs to blitz more. Meanwhile, those same Eagles fans, 
who I love, by the way, if they blitz more and then you give up an 80-yard touchdown, then they blame the corner who wasn't able to cover the guy man-to-man. It's, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's, it really is crazy. But they're both very, very impressive. I think they would both be home run hires. And I'd be surprised if at least one of them doesn't get a job this offseason. Ross Tucker joining us on the program. All right, so Ross, if it's Gannon, let's say, um, look, the Texans we know are in the market to draft a quarterback with that second overall pick. If it's Gannon, the defensive coordinator, what's your sense on what he would do as far as an offensive coordinator would go? And could that solution involve Brian Johnson, the quarterback coach for the Eagles, who is from the Houston area? Well, that's interesting. You know, I don't know that. I don't know that because if Steichen gets a job, I would think there's a decent chance the Eagles promote Brian Johnson, right? Yep. And so if you're Brian Johnson – do you want to go – and I don't know. I think you can make a reasonable argument, actually, both ways. Do you want to go to Houston, where they're bereft of talent? Um, I mean, obviously they have some, but where it's not nearly what they have in Philly. But the expectations are a lot lower. So you could go to Houston, and you get a young quarterback, and maybe you build him into a good player, and you build the offense, and then you get the credit. Whereas if Brian Johnson, if Steichen leaves and he takes over in Philly, the standard now in Philly is so high that it's almost like there's nowhere to go but down. It's a really interesting, like, career choice for Brian Johnson if he has those options. Uh, But I have not heard, to answer Mm -hmm. your question, Sean, what, you know, what uh, John McGannon would do. I mean, he also was with the Vikings for a while. He was with the Colts for a while. He might have somebody else he knows that he has in mind. I, I was asking Seth this on Saturday, but I want your take. Where is the level of like frustration, devastation that the Texans won that last game and have the number two pick? On a scale of one, meaning people don't really care, to ten, meaning people are really upset that they might not get Bryce Young now. Well, t- take the temperature of yeah. your, the Texans fans for me. I would say I did the po- I do the post game show for the Texans, so I can tell you right after the game it was a thirteen on a scale of one to ten. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, I think it's settled into probably somewhere on the upper end still, you know, seven or an eight, something like that. But I think C.J. Stroud announcing that he's coming out for the draft yesterday helps cushion the blow a little bit because I think people look at it and go, okay, well. We're, if the Texans are in mind to get one of these two quarterbacks, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, they're guaranteed mathematically to get one of them if they like both these guys. Yeah, and I think that that's fair. And I think, you know, as much as we think we know, we don't really know which one will be better. I mean, there's some people out there that think Will Levis might be the best of the three. And they're comparing Will Levis from Kentucky to Josh Allen, which – I mean, I did the Buffalo game Sunday. There, there's only one Josh Allen. That guy is just um, a sight to behold. But Levis is – I can tell you this much. When Levis was like a true freshman at Penn State and the scouts would come because there was a battle at Penn State between Sean Clifford and Tommy Stevens, I had some Penn State people tell me, if you came to our practice, you would look at Will Levis and say, who is that guy? They said he's the guy that looks like the first-round pick and is going to be a first-round pick, and here he's going to be. So, yes, the Texans do have options. It's weird because I think you'd rather have the number one pick and be able to pick who you want, but on some level, I don't want to say it takes the pressure off of Casario, but like on some level it's almost like he doesn't have to make a choice unless you like Young that much that you actually trade up from two to one. Yeah as opposed to letting somebody else leapfrog you, which is an interesting discussion. Yeah, if I put myself, when I try to put myself in Casario or any other GM's position, there is a part of me, and maybe this is the most cowardly part of me, that just wants that the whole dynamic of Bryce Young's size (laughs) taken off my plate to where, hey, uh, you know what, I I might really, really like him, but if somebody else drafts him and he ends up banged up and injured like Jim McMahon as a small quarterback was for years, then then I don't have to worry about it. That That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, 
everybody seems to be very worried about that. And there aren't, I can't think, are there any quarterbacks? Like even, even Kyler Murray's like a little bit thicker, you know, right. than Bryce Young is. Jim, but, Jim McMahon was the first, Jim McMahon was the last quarterback drafted in the first round who was below 200 pounds. And I think that, that I think Doug Flutie might be the closest comp in terms of size. And I mean, he played until he was 39, but he spent most of his career in the Canadian League. Which, no offense to the Canadian League, I don't, I don't know if that's as intense as even the SEC. So uh, that's it's it's hard to figure exactly how that correlates. I will say, I feel like Bryce Young does a pretty good job of not getting hit. You know what I mean? Like he does a pretty good job of getting like, either getting rid of the ball or making people miss. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, you know, a lot of quarterbacks get hurt. I mean, look at some of the guys, yeah. you know, Skylar Thompson. I mean, a lot of quarterbacks is out there. A lot of quarterbacks get hurt. I don't know that – I mean, if you're Nick Casario, right, you, you need to go for the, who the best player is because I'm not sure you've got a ton of longevity there if the guy you pick doesn't play well. Ross Tucker, uh, you can get him on all his various platforms at Ross Tucker NFL and myfrontpagestory.com. And I, Valentine's Day will be here soon enough, but Ross, there's never a bad time to get somebody a a, a nice gift from myfrontpagestory.com, is yeah, there? I'm, I'm getting well, no, this, so by you the way, for, do it, for Brandy. Yeah, yeah you got to do it now before, like, get it out of the way. Everybody just gets their wife, like, I don't know, flowers or chocolates. My wife would be like, you got me chocolates? Are you serious? Um, you got to go to myfrontpagestory.com, Sean. Two reasons, right? They write the most unbelievable story about your wife. It looks like it's on the cover of the Houston Chronicle. Like, it's beautiful. Front page of the newspaper. There's pictures of her or the two of you. But the two things, when you give someone a, a gift, part of it's like the delivery. When she's opening it and she doesn't even know what it is, she's like, wait, what is this? And you say to her, I had a story written about you. That just sounds awesome. Like, that sounds like you are husband of the year. You, wait, wait, you had a story written about me? Yeah, I had a story written about you. I want to do something special for you, babe. That's amazing. And then when she reads it and you have quotes in there like, I never thank her enough for what she does, all the little things for the kids, she will cry, dude. I, I've seen so many videos now. It's unbelievable. They cry almost every time as long as you say that. As long as you say, I never thank her enough for all the little things she does, she'll be like, oh, he totally gets it. He totally, he totally notices. So trust me, myfrontpagestory.com, myfrontpagestory.com. Let me see if I got you guys a code. I think I did. Yeah, Houston 10, oh, 10% off. Okay. Houston 10, 10% off. It's the pain and Prendergast bump. Houston 10 at myfrontpagestory.com. <laughs> Love that. Do Love it now, everybody. Everybody go do it right now. Yes. That way we can get Ross to come on again and have a party every <laughs> Tuesday morning. Instantly, yes. Houston 10 is the promo code, myfrontpagestory.com. It is it is an awesome gift uh, for your uh, for your loved one, for your significant other. Ross, we appreciate the time as always. We'll talk to you soon, man. Absolutely. Great to talk with you guys. See ya. You too. Ross Tucker, hey. myfrontpagestory.com. There you go. Middle screen, who's the one that made the comment about Ross towering over me? Yeah. Um, he, his actual comment was, this is what a podcaster is supposed to look like. <laughs> Middle screen's the best. <laughs> He's the best. I'm kind of distraught that Ross didn't realize I was uh, I was joking <laughs> and playing around with middle screen. That's pretty good. But even if he weren't, if middle screen weren't joking around, that's a, that's a pretty funny insult. That's what a podcast <laughs> is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Payton Pendergast with you on a uh, Tuesday. Let's get to headlines next. Sean Payton, interested in the Texans job. What particularly is the most interesting part of this job to him? I think one of the answers is going to raise some eyebrows around the league. We'll get to that in headlines next. Live from the Twin Peaks studios, Sports Radio 610 presents Payton and Pendergast. Payton and Pendergast with you. We'll get to headlines here. In fact, let's get to headlines right now. Uh, yeah, we, we spent extra time with Ross. We did. Payne and Pendergast with today's headlines. Brought to you by BaywayJeep.com. There you go. All right, um, let's get to headlines here. We'll get to last night's game in just a minute. Uh, the Cowboys beat the Bucks 31-14. to But the big news locally here yesterday, Sean Payton went on the Co- uh, Colin Cowherd show and was asked about the Texans' job. We should mention that he did have a first interview with the Texans via Zoom. Uh, yesterday, so the, the team has announced that as they've announced all the others. So that's four interviews the team has conducted now. There will be another interview today with Ajiro Avero from 
Denver. He's the defensive coordinator in Denver. There's an article about him that got me very excited about him. We'll get to that later. D'Amico Ryan's on Friday. So the Texans are interviewing a lot of good candidates here. We'll see where it goes. But Sean Payton was asked on the Colin Cowherd show yesterday if he would be willing to consider a team like the Texans. Are you willing to consider that? If, if Absolutely. You, okay, you Here's would. why. Um, and look, I think I know the ownership group. Not very well, but we practiced against the Texans in New Orleans four or five different times. So um, Cal McNair, his his late father, um, we'd we'd see them, and so I don't I don't know them well, but I but I know them. We've we've you know when you when you practice for three days with an opponent, you you get a chance to meet a lot of the different personalities and people involved in the building. Um, They've got really good draft capital. Really good draft couple capital. Good, couple good young players. They're in a division that you can at least look at and say, all right, Indy, Tennessee, Jacksonville is nothing. But you, you can at least, all right, how do we? So I, I think there's growth potential immediately there from their two or three wins that they had this year. Um, I know Nick a little bit, Casario, mm-hmm. um, because, again, when he was in New England, we had a lot of practices with, with their team. So each team would be just like we're having that discussion. There'd be pros and that that's the significance though of the upcoming week or two of meeting mm-hmm. some of these individuals asking some questions maybe some difficult questions and and trying to get answers so that we're not having difficult questions when you've already taken the job all right there's a lot to unpack there let's let's work backwards this time Seth and what Sean Payton said there let's start at the end and work backwards because we didn't dig much into the Nick Casario dynamic earlier when we talked about this, but you you have brought this up before, and I think it's a really good point that, okay, can Nick Casario and Sean Payton work together? It would probably require some adjustment on behalf of Casario because Payton's not going to come into a situation where he's beholden to all the decisions the GM is going to make. You've brought up the point before that Casario seemed ready to sign up for a situation where he was kind of filling that role for O'Brien that he would be filling theoretically for Sean Payton. The part that listeners have attached onto and latched onto from that cut we just played with Payton that I think they feel may have something to do with Nick Casario is the very end where he says the interview is an opportunity to ask hard questions so that yeah. we know ahead of time, I'm paraphrasing now, but so that we know ahead of time, so that we don't get in, so that we basically don't get into a situation where we both felt right. it was going to be something different. We need to be on the same right. page. Yeah, and one thing that uh, one thing that Coward did in this interview, which was uh, it was fruitful because it kind of shed light on the process, was he asked flat out, "What kind of money are we talking about?" Um, which is uncouth in social settings, but relevant in these settings, I think. So. That's when I, if I remember correctly, that's when Peyton started talking about. Well, we need to have these discussions first before you ever get to the salary. You got to have discussions yeah. about, you know, what's it going to look like, what's the structure like, and certainly, I think the Casario part is very interesting because, obviously, everything that you just brought up. But I guess I, I look at it more positively in that Parcells and Casario are both on the Parcells tree. Of coaching, Peyton and Casario. So, yeah. Par, par, what did I say? Par, Parcells oh, and Casario. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Sean Par- Payton Parcells is and, definitely on the Parcells yeah. tree. <laughs> Sean Payton and uh, Nick Casario are both on the Parcells tree. Right. Uh, you know, Payton worked directly for Parcells, and Casario worked for Belichick, who's worked for Parcells. Parcells, but uh, like. The Belichick tree is a whole different story. The Parcells tree is pretty damn rock solid. He spawned multiple very quality coaches. Um, and I think the, the whole do your job mantra that's common amongst a lot of the Parcells coaching tree is kind of ingrained in both these guys. So I think that, and what that means a lot of times is, you know, you don't you don't necessarily need a whole lot of you don't need drama, you don't need pep talks, you don't need a bunch of all this other crap. Just do your job. And if you get guys that are focused on doing their jobs in an organization, then then things can work out pretty well. So I think that those two would be able to get together and I, I think kind of be speaking the same language from the beginning and maybe be able to figure out if it's going to work or if it's not going to work and be very open about it because both these guys have been in the business a long time. Casario's been in the business for 20 years in the NFL. So I wouldn't – if they do decide that Peyton is the guy, I'm actually more comfortable with that 
dynamic in, in how he'll work with Nick Casario than I am with a lot of these other guys who are relative unknowns or haven't seen some of the pitfalls of not figuring this stuff out beforehand. Um, working backwards on that Peyton, Sean Payton cut that we just heard, I found it interesting that he openly mentioned the division the Texans are in, which, by the way, is absolutely a selling point for a job. When you and I analyze these job openings, Seth, the division that they play in is something that gets brought up. The Denver job is not a good job for a variety of reasons, one of which is you're going to have to deal with Patrick Mahomes for the next 10 years. Now, maybe Trevor Lawrence turns into something like that, but right now he's not that guy. I just found it interesting that Sean Payton, Sean Payton was almost still in analyst mode there as opposed to, oh, I might be coaching this team down the road because, as you pointed out, he may have given the three other teams in the AFC South bulletin board material before he's even taken the Texans' job. Yeah, the way he said it, he cut himself off because he he very much sounded he he was very much diminishing the uh, the 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 threat that the rest of the AFC South poses and uh, like the old yeah that like that Parcells slash Belichick in him immediately cropped up and thought oh wait a second I'm giving them bulletin board material yeah uh, I don't need to do that yep. so uh, you know ultimately how effective is that versus. I mean, the Colts and the Titans are going to have a brand new roster by midway through next season anyway. Uh, the Jaguars less so, but I think the fact that he was actually concerned about whether or not he was giving out bulletin board material made me feel like he was actually possibly serious about the Texans and not just using them as a bargaining chip. I think anybody who is, I think any Texan fan who wants Sean Payton probably has to feel a little bit better about the possibility of landing Sean Payton after that interview with Cowherd and after knowing that the team had a Zoom call with him yesterday. Yeah, if you're going to be super cynical about it, it's very fair to think, okay, look, he's he's keeping his options open, and he's also creating as much of a thriving market as possible. Yes. Uh, but I think a lot of the points that he brought up, at the very least, it's nice to hear it because it's it validates, I think, some of what we've been saying locally, which is a lot of the national opinions are very fly-by generalizations of what the Texan situation is like. Yeah. Where it's it's indeed much more it's much more complex and in many ways more enticing than people realize. I think even if the Sean Payton thing goes nowhere, yesterday was a win for the Texans. Just having yeah. somebody of Sean Payton's stature on a national TV show on a big platform like that citing all the positives about the job, going on and talking about ownership and not doing doing it in a derogatory way, bringing up Nick Casario as a positive in this light, um, reminding people that the draft capital that was largely yeah. acquired through the Deshaun Watson trade is a real positive for a lot of guys who are looking at this job. I think it was a win for the Texans that Sean Payton was even saying these things yesterday. You know, those combined practices are interesting because you, you might – wonder, okay, how much can you actually glean about a person? Because Sean Payton mentioned having combined practices with the Texans and he got to know the ownership group a little bit. It, it depends on what kind of conversations you're having. I mean, when we, when we had com- a combined practice with the Broncos, I loved it because I'd always very much respected that offense and the way that offensive line was coached by Alex Gibbs. So I, we'd be having individual drills, and I would park myself as close as possible to the Broncos offensive line area and hear everything was Gibbs was saying about how he was coaching his guys about what techniques he was coaching like if if we had if we were off and the Broncos were practicing I'd kind of edge on over to uh, to their group and kind of watch and I got some good intel from them and also got to know just about the philosophy and I think if if Cal treated it that way as an educational opportunity he might have ended up having some some actually substantial conversations with Sean Payton, uh, which would be which would be interesting. And hopefully, just in even having an owner who's asking certain questions um, or, like, knows which questions to ask, that can, that can go a long way, perhaps, in whatever perception Sean Payton has of the Texans. What would it cost to get Sean Payton? Keep in mind, Sean Payton is still under contract to the New Orleans Saints. Any team that hires Sean Payton is, in all likelihood, going to have to give up some draft capital in order to in order to get him, they're going to have to compensate the Saints. Um, Sean Payton was pretty open about what he thought the compensation to secure his services would be to the Saints. Each team's got different ammo, yeah. or different pick selections, and you know it, it could be a future one maybe where you have to throw in something. Um, I I say this because I know Mickey well, and I heard him talk the other day, and and he was right on, and I think I am too. Um, he, he's got a job to do as a general manager 
with the Saints, uh, and, and he'll, he'll get the right compensation, and, and I'm sure the team, if it gets that far, uh, will arrive at it. And it's probably this year, it would probably be, you know, a mid to late first round pick, I, I would say. Okay. I mean, like, it, that's, <laughs> that's pretty cut and dry <laughs> right there. Um, um, and, and then what, it, and that's again where he's, he's speaking a little bit out of turn there. He really shouldn't be disclosing that. Um, if he wants to help Mickey Loomis negotiate the best possible deal, yeah. this is a little bit like when, you know, when Deshaun Watson was in the same situation where he was at least somewhat at the mercy of what the Texans could negotiate in a trade, they kept their mouths shut about it for various other reasons, too. They had to keep their mouths shut. But um, Mickey Loomis last week is the one who mentioned that, hey, different teams have different uh, assets available to trade and that the price might vary from team to team. So, I, yes, the Texans have a bunch of picks. I don't think that Lumos, I don't think Loomis is going to treat Casario like he's Bill O'Brien or something and think that he's going to be able to bilk him out a bunch of the picks. If I'm Nick Casario, what I'm saying is, listen, um, we have a lot of picks, but if you're trading with one of these other teams that's already stacked, you're going to be getting either a late first-round pick, and then if you're trading for a next-year first-round pick for one of those other teams that right now is way better than us, then what are you getting out of that? Versus you can get a 12 right now. You know, and it's guaranteed to be a 12. Go ahead and get a first-round pick from a better team than us, and, you, you know, odds are you'll be getting a, a 25th, 26th overall pick next year. So I, I think the Texans, I think there's a reasonable chance they, they could pull this trade off with a number 12 overall. Oh, I think so, too. I, yeah. I, I, I do. I believe that as well. Um, it's just a weird dynamic. It, you, the, the comparison to Deshaun is very similar in that, you know, it's almost like, to say Peyton has a no trade clause, like he obviously doesn't have a no, like literally have a no trade clause. But the the theme with Deshaun was he was going to control where he could go. He was going to choose a place to go, yeah. and then it was going to be up to the Texans um, to uh, to come up with a package that they would want in exchange. Um, I think what's interesting is that the one thing Casario did with Deshaun was he made sure that they agreed to trade compensation before they even got to talk to Deshaun. Right, right. Yeah, that was a, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really good point. And it doesn't it seems like this will be done a little bit more in conjunction or yes. cooperation. I guess yes. it won't necessarily have to be as formalized, which makes sense given that these two work together for so long. And and I think that also look, there's I was thinking about this yesterday where you know, there's an element in the NFL where guys that have been in the league for a long time and have been doing deals with the same guys for the for the longest time you're not you can't be out there trying to win every trade there's got to be a little bit of give and take you know where trades work for both sides because you deal you deal with people over and over again and I think that probably ends up being how it is with Loomis and Peyton working together on this deal like Loomis Loomis no matter what their personal relationship is right now isn't going to uh, hold somebody's feet to the flames, you know, at the expense of Peyton landing in a good spot. I think they're going to genuinely try to work together to to figure out a good compromise between the both of them. Um, for what it's worth, uh, we're up over 3,000 votes now on the poll that I put up yesterday as to whether or not Texan fans would want to trade the 12th overall pick for Sean Payton. And the percentages have not changed drastically at all. 57.6% say no, they would rather keep the pick. 42.4% say yes, let's go ahead and trade the pick for um for Sean Payton. Um I think, you know, Clint Sterner yesterday, Seth, framed this in a way that I thought was was interesting. By the way, you're listening to KLT and KLT HD two and Odyssey Station. I thought Clint framed this in a way where I you know, I'm up in the air, I'm on the fence about trading a, a first round pick for, for Sean Payton. And I know you can use examples to go, well, I mean, look, are you saying you wouldn't trade Kenyon Green for Sean Payton? Yeah, for every Kenyon Green, I'll bring up a, a 12th or 15th overall pick that ended up working out. Aaron Donald was the 13th overall pick. I wouldn't trade him in a million years for Sean Payton. Um, Clint put it this way. You have six first-round picks over a three-year period, two of which they've used already. They've got two this year and two next year. Is it worth one of those first-round picks to make sure that the other five are getting the best possible coaching and player development that they could get? Which is the assumption yeah. under Sean Payton is that he's going to be, and he was in New Orleans, a very, very good, he and his staff, a very, very good developer 
of talent, especially if one of those picks is a quarterback. I thought that was an interesting way to frame it, where if you were trying to argue in a court of law, like, yes, go trade the 12th pick for Peyton, that's a pretty good way to kind of, I think, clarify it for me. Like, yeah, you know what? Like, if you had to give up one of those picks, but you feel like there's a 25 or 30% better chance that these guys are going to turn into what they're supposed to be, might be worth yeah. doing it at that point. Yeah, that's where, I mean, that, that kind of goes back towards what the Astros have done such a good job of, which is talent development. And I think, honestly, in, the, in a way, football football is the uh, a, a sport that has the most upside if you actually have good quality coaches that can develop talent because they the guys don't get as much time to actually refine their skills. And you can only – like you can only – like baseball, you can spend all day in a batting cage. Football, it's, it's hard to practice a lot of the elements of the game of football without – you know, ending up concussed or, or broken down. So good coaching makes more of a difference than I think a lot of the GM types in the past have really believed. And I, I think the pendulum is starting to swing the other way. I, I think that, yes, if you're going to draft a young quarterback especially, you know that, you know that with Peyton they're going to be in good hands, like even more so than with Belichick. Obviously, I you know I don't. Peyton's not going to hire Matt Patricia to be his offensive coordinator. <laughs> no, God you no. know I mean there was a there's a certain level of hubris and perhaps almost like a lack of respect or understanding for what offensive coaches go through that led to that scenario this year. Um, so I think that that part of it, the security of knowing that at the very least this guy's not going to botch your quarterback, might be worth the number twelve pick alone. Just that. Um, and then the other part, too, I think one of the downsides I've brought up about Sean Payton in regards to uh, you know, like his overall ability as a coach is that they went through some long stretches where they had horrendous defenses. Mm-hmm. It's, it's notable that in these last few years when Breeze wasn't as good anymore was when the defense started to get better. That the kind of the team construction and allocation of resources, I think, changed a little bit, which I'll give credit to Loomis and, and Peyton uh, for that. I think it was part of that. It was a concerted effort of knowing, look, we can't – Drew Brees isn't going to bail us out of bad defense anymore. Well, I mean, look, Sean Payton would have something – if he were to take this job – he would be operating with something that he never operated with in New Orleans, which is a quarterback on a rookie contract. And I know the, yeah. the, the I know the on field part of that is yeah, but you got to develop him. He's a rookie. But the flip side to that, as far as building a roster goes, if he's good, holy smokes! I mean, like you pointed out, Seth, Sean Payton had to, had to have that stretch of really good football in New Orleans by essentially maxing out credit cards every year with the salary cap here at least during the initial phase of whatever young quarterback it is they take, if that quarterback ends up being good, you're doing it with that quarterback on a rookie contract. So I'm I'm 24 hours after all this Sean Payton smoke yesterday on the Cowherd Show and the news that he interviewed with the team. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say I'm talking myself into it. Like, if they hired Sean Payton, that would be a whole hell of a lot of fun around here. The team is instantly relevant again. Um, but I like I feel like there's legitimate reasons to get – kind of excited about it after after yesterday um let's shift gears uh and get to the playoffs the um the wild card round is over the Monday night football game last night is in the books and you didn't need to stick around very long this game was over by halftime 18 nothing the Cowboys led at halftime what a weird score eh yeah because their kicker couldn't make an extra point to save his life 31 to 14 was the final score um and the game was not as close as even that would indicate. It was 31-6, and the Buccaneers scored a garbage touchdown at the end. Um, if there were a game that would seem to indicate, Seth, that this might be it for Tom Brady, <laughs> last night's game is a fairly decent indicator. That that may be where we're at in the Tom Brady saga. It might be over. That was, uh, I'm, I'm hesitant to believe that because there were enough moments last night. It seemed like I, I would give the Tom Brady disgustometer – uh, a 50% in that on 50% of the bad or errant passes, he was yelling downfield at his receivers. Whereas on 50% of the other passes, he looked like he was disgusted with himself. Yeah. So I think that there's still something to be said for, and it doesn't even matter whether you think that Tom Brady has something left in the tank. It's what he and Josh McDaniels sure. think he yep. has left in the tank. Because I think that Josh McDaniels and his big old fat ego is looking down Tampa way and thinking, well, 
<laughs> Clearly, I'm better than Brian, Byron Leftwich as, a, as an offensive coordinator. And uh, my guys wouldn't be making those same mistakes. And I think, I think that Tom Brady might be feeling the same way. And this is like everybody – like this year – this year for Tom Brady was kind of like the Lovey Smith year for the Texans, and it was a, yeah. a strange, weird set of circumstances that was not at all what had been planned or necessarily sought after, and yet it just felt like you were, you were shoehorning a bunch of things into one team because, it, look, the season's going to go on and you got to do something. Yeah, this this is where, um, I, like, cautionary tale is a weird phrase to use because I'm going to use it about the last two Super Bowl champions, uh, the Rams last year and the Buccaneers the year before. Um, But both of those teams have taken similar approaches in terms of keeping their guys, signing them to huge contracts, shoving a bunch of money into the future. I mean, the Rams took it to the extreme by trading a bunch of draft capital as well to put their team together. But I'm watching this game last night, and as bad as Brady was, I'm like, man, if Brady was bad, but if he leaves, like, this is a team that's going to win five games next year. Like, they're, they're, yeah. they're old. I don't know who their coach is going to be. Todd Bowles was not good this year. I don't know what we expected out of Todd Bowles. Byron Leftwich was a disaster calling plays last night. Like, similar to the Rams. Like, the Rams get hit with a couple injuries, and all of a sudden they're a five-win team this year. Like, this is, this is what the aftermath looks like when you mortgage the future to put this big, huge veteran core together to go win a championship. And Tampa has. I'm just looking at that, that Tampa defense – it's uh, you know you got a guy like Vita Vea who's just an absolute machine and yet you can't stop the run you know yeah. there just uh, it, it, I I'm going to say this about the Cowboys the Cowboys look the Cowboys did very well last night um thought both you know both running backs made a big difference in that game the tight ends uh uh they're, they're fantastic like that is a that is a talented group they got to they got to be smart with Dak Prescott that first touchdown that they scored, where you're down, like you got to reserve some of this stuff for either fourth quarters of playoff games or the Super Bowl itself. That's when you're allowed to do this all. But you're in the first half of the wild card game. Dak Prescott is out trying to be a lead blocker down on the goal line. Oh, yeah. The very next play, they run a veer option, yep. old school option, where he's running down the line. The defensive end, if he saw fit, is completely allowed to just blast you upside the jaw in that. Um, and then they run a naked boot, which was a smart play. But it, like there was, there was some parts of his game last night where I would, I, I feel like Kellen Moore and uh, and Mike McCarthy got a shake some sense into him in themselves and say, look, we gotta we gotta keep this guy healthy. Yeah. He hasn't necessarily been the healthiest guy. Well and know what kind of game it is too. That was it was very clear early on that was not going to be a game where the Cowboys needed to empty the chamber on yeah. any sort of risky plays to win that football game. Also uh that that score thirty one to fourteen was not a scoregami. The scoregami is where a score that's never happened before happens. Right. It's actually happened 90 times before. Yeah, that feels like a fairly common one, 31 It is. Well, you had said it was a weird score, but it was a, you have like you have four touchdowns and a field goal. That's 31. That 31 was the weird part. 31 just feels part. weird because it's a prime number. Yeah, that, that, that was the weird part. Is it, Yeah, 31. Oh, okay, so they scored four touchdowns and a field goal. No. Yeah. They scored five touchdowns. They just had a kicker who kicked like he was one of the media members at the Texans Combine a month ago, like me. Um, but it was funny. The Manning cast, they had a Manning cast for the game last night. This was Peyton and Eli after the third consecutive missed extra point by Brett Maher, the Cowboys kicker. Yeah, going left, throwing back right in the end zone. Oh, my God. Got to be kidding me. I've never seen anything like it. Why are we kicking it? Why are we kicking it? What is going on? can't believe it. Talk about a buzzkill. No one's ever missed three field, three extra points in a row. You That's cut a guy a at halftime of a playoff game. Got to be a record. Can you cut a guy at halftime of a playoff game? That was Peyton, dude. See, you know what, Eli? Oh god. Did you see any of the footage of the Manning cast on on Twitter or anything like that? I haven't yet. No. The the video, I I didn't pull it because it's mostly the fourth missed extra point. That was the third one. Yeah. The fourth one doesn't make for great radio because it's mostly just. It's very Them visual. staring like in disbelief. It's Peyton on the top of the screen. You know, they do the left-hand column is where they have the faces there, the FaceTime. Peyton, yeah. they're interviewing Dan Campbell, who's in the middle, and then Eli at the bottom of the screen. And 
And Peyton just, after the fourth missed extra point, he just stands up. He's got a football in his hands, and he's about to throw it against the wall. <laughs> and, and Dan Campbell. Idiot kicker. Dan Campbell. <laughs> idiot kicker, right. Yeah, Dan, Dan Campbell is the most subdued you've ever seen Dan Campbell. Like, Dan Campbell looks like somebody died on the He's broadcast. coming down off the caffeine by that point. You yeah. know, he drinks like four black eyes a day. Yeah. Uh, that's like, that's a, that's a. That's a black Starbucks with two shots of espresso in it. Oh, is that what so, it's called? That's a black eye. Okay, yeah. okay. I used to drink a black eye. Black eye. Yeah, black eye. Uh, every, I used to drink a black eye. Space every, E-Y-E, yes. Yeah, um, every every morning before games, yeah. That sounds, uh, like sounds like an off-the-menu thing, right? Like a little, like in and out yeah, burger so. where you order animal-style fries and whatnot? Like is, Zach Wiegert taught me that. Okay. Zach Wiegert was my drug. Uh, Zach Wiegert was the bad influence on me.